the words come from Job. And even in his distress, even in his trials, even in his temptations, he was still able to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. He gives and takes away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. And that's difficult for us to fathom. Almost impossible to even imagine that even some of the darkest trials and some of the most evil temptations that have come our way, we can stand victorious in the midst of them and said, blessed be your name. God, I I ask this morning that your hand of healing would be on individuals of our congregation, family members of individuals of our congregation that are going through some, some pretty crucial times. Sandy Weaver's uncle Donald, as we have been made aware of through the prayer chain, has had an extensive surgery. In fact, his only, his, his only relief, his only hope was a heart pump that is external and not internal. And I pray, God, that even in the midst of this, even as the the prayer requests that have come our way for this particular situation, yet we're reminded that their spirits are high because they know that you're the one who's in control. And I pray that you would bless Donald today. Give him the peace of mind, also the peace of heart, to know that he can trust you. Because I'm sure that his outlook on life doesn't just focus on his present situations but he realizes the glory that is yet ours to come blessed be your name lord too i want to ask that you would bless our president you would bless our vice president and the cabinet lord that surrounds them It doesn't take long that you can look at the news papers and hear the news that everyone seems to be blaming them for the ills of the world. And yet, Lord, what they don't see is the fact that as a nation, we've begun for a long time to turn our back on you. So I pray for President Trump, Vice President Pence, the cabinet that they get their information from and support from. I pray, God, that you would surround him and them with your protective hand. I know that your word says when the enemy comes in like a flood, that you raise up a standard against them. The standard of truth is not what 
the forces of darkness desire to have. But I pray that you protect them, God. I also ask, Lord, for our senators and congressmen, both nationally and locally in their state, that they would be guided somehow, some way, by someone that would be willing to share your word, the word of truth. Lord, I ask that you protect them and as well as our our servicemen and women all over this United States and all over the world. That wherever they are, if they're in the front line of danger, I pray, Father, that you would, by your grace and for your glory, would protect them. For their family members that are back home wondering how they're doing and have no communication with them, I pray that you would give them peace. The tragedy is, Lord, is that, as we know, that there's always casualties. Individuals who have given their all so that we could experience all the freedoms that we have. I pray for their family members. I ask God that is every day they, they may even ask the question, why? So Lord, I pray that you would speak to them. Speak to our hearts also this morning, God, as we come into your word. The book of James is very practical. At sometimes it seems to be somewhat disjointed and fragmented. But yet, Lord, it is still inspired by you. You breathed it. And James wrote it. That we might benefit from it. So in our study of this book, Lord, we want to see you. I'm sure that was the intent of all of the writers of the scriptures. Whether long or short, their communication was for the purpose that people would see you and be instructed of how it is to live as light in the midst of darkness. May we speak this morning with clarity. May we speak, O Lord God, with compassion. And may we hear by your Spirit, may we hear what you would have for us today, that we would be willing to let you change our lives. For it's all for your honor and for your glory that we ask these things. Amen. I have a quote that is on my bulletin board, and frequently I look at it and try to put it in perspective to the world situations that I, as you are, aware of what's happening around us. The quote is something like this. The more a society 
the more a society that drifts away from the truth of the word of God, the more they hate those who speak it. The more a society drifts away from the truth of the word of God, the more they hate those who speak it. We, we don't fully know the whole life situations of the ones James was writing to. All we do know is that they are described as being scattered. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes for us a very practical book that I would think that if he had the opportunity to gather all of those scattered tribes into one location and to be able to stand before them, this would become more of a sermon than a letter that would have been passed around. James's style is not as if you would wish to compare it to either Peter or even John or even Paul. It doesn't seem at times to be very succinct. It's almost like having a conversation with someone and you're going along this path and all of a sudden you find yourself over here and you wonder, how did we get there? My mother-in-law was the champion of doing that. We'd be at the supper table and we're talking about just something and all of a sudden she brings up shoe size. Mom, where did that come from? We used to tell her, Mom, when you're going to change the subject, take a hanky and wave it. And, and you kind of wonder, that's sometimes what it feels like James is doing. He's first, he's, he's talking about trials. And then, poof, temptations. How does that correlate together? He talks about blessing, and then all of a sudden he talks about the drasticness of don't be confused. In James chapter 1, verses 12 to 19, we're going to look at this morning a conflict of wills. And we, both, we, we all have them, by the way. Each and every individual that is born on this earth has a huge problem described for us in other places of scripture as what is called a carnal nature or sin nature. We are born with that. No one except Jesus has ever escaped that plight. We act through sin. We act because of sin. We think of things through the realm of sin. That's what the sin nature does to us. And when all of a sudden, when an individual, by the grace of God and through the word of God and the moving of the Holy Spirit, they trust Jesus Christ as their only hope of eternal life. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 1 that all of a sudden now we have been born again by an incorruptible seed. Something that isn't bad, it's good. 
And when you put those two things together, those two natures, those two wills, when you put them together, you have what Paul calls in Romans chapter 7 a conundrum. That which I wish I would do and I know I should do, Paul says, I don't do it. Those things that I know I should not do and don't want to do, Paul says, I do that. Then he closes, oh, wretched man that I am, who can separate, who can rescue me from this conundrum? In chapter 8 and verse 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. That's the answer. And though strictly not in those kinds of words, that's what James was pointing the scattered first century church believers. They've been scattered because of the word of God. They found themselves in a society that doesn't want the truth. And they've run for their lives. And James is addressing them. Let's take a few moments and read from verses 12 down to verse 19, if we can. It says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to all those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Now verse 19 is a little different most likely because in the original Greek it says this, these things you know. These things you know. What does James want us to know? Well, he wants us first to know that the conflict of the wills, he wants us to see what the conflict is. What is the conflict? What is the battle that's going on? Well, obviously, as we shared earlier, the battle is between that which God would want us to do and that which he would wish for us to stay away from. Trials and temptations are not exactly the same thing. 
Because trials, as we've seen earlier, as we spoke of last week at the church picnic, just got to make this side comment. All of you that were convinced that because of the rain that started Sunday morning, there was no way you were going to the picnic, you missed out on some very good chicken. But I want to tell you something, and I say this from a heart of carnality. Thank you for not coming because I got to take chicken home. But I would really have rather had you there. But last week we spoke of these trials. And trials are tests. They're for the purpose of showing us how are we doing in this thing called the walk of a believer? They're difficult. I've never had a test that was easy. And it seems, as we are in school, that the longer you go in school, that the tests that you had in kindergarten are a whole lot nicer than the tests you get when you're a senior. If you graduate as a senior and you're still learning your ABCs, we got the problem. If as a believer person, if you've walked through the grades of God's church and his school of life, and you're still dealing with the ABCs, we got a problem. And James tells us that these trials are for the purpose to develop in us a deeper faith, a greater hope, and a stronger love for God. That's what trials are supposed to do. If the sun shone every single day, we'd be in Mojave Desert. If it rained every single day, we'd be in the Pacific Ocean. And so in God's providence, he brings rain for trials. Then he adds in sunshine for growth with a purpose that develops in you a faith, a hope, and a love for him. Temptations, on the other hand, are a totally different ball game. Temptations have one goal and one goal alone. And that's to destroy you. I don't need to have you turn because you know it very well. Genesis chapter 3 is the very first temptation that came upon this earth. And it was instituted by Satan himself in the form of a serpent. 
Adam and Eve both knew the instructions of God. In fact, even isn't that what life is? He put them in a garden that they could have everything except one thing. And that's the thing that temptation focused on. Hath God really said? That's the second part of a temptation. It contradicts the truth of the word of God. In fact, that, if you will, is the course, the course of the battle of the wills, the combat of wills. I've written down a few things for you just that you can notice the course that each one takes, the course of temptation and the course of trials. The course of temptation is it likes to place the blame on other people or circumstances. Did did you catch what James was writing here? When you're tempted, do not say it's God's fault. Because <laughs> God can't do that. Well, guess what Adam and Eve did? Adam said to God, God, you messed up. The woman you gave me did it. Not to be outdone, Eve said, the snake you made did it. The snake didn't have anyone to blame. In fact, he was the first one who was cursed. From that moment on, you will eat dust the rest of your life. I hate snakes. Take your children to Tobias Game Farm or take them up to this Clyde Peelings thing. Here, touch this snake. You've got to be out of your mind. Oh, they're nice and smooth. I don't care what. I don't. No. You want to go in to see them? I'll wait right out here. I hate snakes. And yet, temptation wants us to blame other people for our situations. We even have an unfortunateness of blaming God, don't we? In fact, that's the philosophy of the world. It's one of Ravi Zacharias's greatest points in his debate on college campuses. When they come to him with, with their puffed out chests and determined mind that if God knows everything, yes, Ravi says God does know everything. And he knew how I was going to act. Yes, God even knew that. Then it's God's fault that I acted. Oh, Ravi, let me stop right there. Because you're all held accountable 
to our actions. Let me let you in on a little secret. We are free to make choices. We're free to make choices. We are not free to choose the consequences of those choices. That's what James says. When you succumb to a temptation, it produces sin. And when sin has had its full course of running, it produces death. Now, James is not talking about spiritual death here. Because he's writing to first century believer people. If he would be here preaching this morning, he would assure us he's not talking about spiritual death. He's talking about an emptiness and the lostness and the darkness of walking away from fellowship with God. You know these some of the most miserable people in life are believer people who've lost their fellowship with God. They're empty. There's a darkness there. John writes for us in 1 John chapter 1. He says, these things we write to you that your fellowship may be full and that you may have joy. When temptation takes over and it runs its full course, dear people, we lose our joy. James says, don't be deceived, my brethren. Truth, on the other hand, is for the foundation, if you will, It's built upon our unchangeable, everlasting, glorious God. That's what truth is. Truth summed up in one magnificent verse in all of the Word of God for all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. I'll shorten it. It's profitable for every facet of life because it's God's word. It's his truth, and it's based upon him and him alone. Truth is for the purpose of building up. Temptations for the purpose of tearing down. And James says, don't be Deceived, my brethren. And that's the conflict, that's the course. But what's the correction? What's the correction? There are two facets. Number one, when you find yourself to be making a decision, a choice. Does that choice match the word of God? If it doesn't, don't use it. 
go down the cereal aisle of a grocery store. Just part, start pulling boxes and reading the ingredients. If the first one is sugar, don't buy it. You can wipe out three quarters of that aisle. Go to the stuff that's supposed to make you live longer, like wheat and rice and, and all of that. Choose that. But when it comes to be making a choice of life, and you're wondering, is this a trial or is this a temptation? How does it match the Word of God? If it doesn't match the Word of God, then I tell you it's a temptation to take you away from the Word of God. Trials drive you to the Word of God. Temptations drive you away from the truth. The second part is not originally mine. I biblically stole it from Dr. David Jeremiah. He wrote it in a book. I figure, hey, I can take this. The second part, the second thing that we need to do, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13, look for the escape. There hath no temptation taken you, which is common to man. But God is faithful that even in the midst of the temptation, He'll provide a way of escape so that you can bear up against it. Look for the escape. How do we do that? Well, let me give you four things. First of all, fight. (laughs) Fight. Battle the temptation. This is not the time for passivity. Turn over just one page over. James chapter 4, verse 7. Here's what fighting means. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil. Everybody repeat that. Submit to God. Oh, you're kind of weak on that. Number one. Ready? One, two, three. Submit to God. Resist the devil. That's fight. See, I told you, James brings this stuff up later. All that he's setting out for us in chapter 1 is the prelude for the rest of the book. And this is dynamic. Fight. Paul writes for us in Ephesians chapter 6, do everything that you can to stand against the forces of darkness. Second thing, follow. Follow the example of Jesus. Matthew chapter 3 Jesus did something. He fought face to face with our arch enemy. What did he use, everybody? What did he use? What did he quote? The word of God. 
even though the evil one quoted to him a verse. Yet it was for the wrong purpose. Oh, don't you just get your mind messed up when believer people use the word of God for something it ain't for? Doesn't God want me to be happy? No. He wants you to be holy. And in holiness, you'll find joy and happiness. Well, God just led me to do that. What God would send would lead you to sin? No. Follow the example of Jesus. Third, flee. Do not remain in the presence of evil. Former alcoholics can't spend time in a bar. Former drug addicts cannot visit the drug houses they used to frequent. They've learned to flee from that presence. We need to do the same thing. Flee from the presence of evil. Pastor Doug, does it say somewhere in the scriptures where I can't go to the horse track and bet on the horses? No, no, it doesn't say anything about that. I'm saying, but I said, how about you asking Jesus to take the seat next to you and let him pay for the ticket? Would you do that? Oh, no, I would never do that. Then why are you going? Because, by the way, he goes with you. Flee the presence of evil. Lastly, how to correct it lastly is this. Fellowship. Isolation is the best breeding ground for temptation. But when we gather together as a fellowship, as a body of believers in this church, oh, I hope you feel better when you leave. If not, blame it on the preacher. But I hope that the fellowship you have with people around you encourages you. Because guess what? They're battling the same thing you are. And we need each other. In my voice lessons, I had to learn to sing a song. No man is an island. No man stands alone. Even a hermit needs to go to town to buy pancake mix. We need each other. Fellowship. You can't fight this alone. But others around you can fight with you. Lastly, the consolation. Verse 12. Blessed is the man who endures temptations. For when it all comes to an end, you get something. A crown of life. You get the peace of God that passes all understanding. 
You get the presence of God and fellowship one with another and with him. That's the consolation. Satan always traps us in order that he may leave us to walk it alone. God captures us and says, I'll walk with you. James is trying to encourage this group of scattered believers as best he can. This letter probably was passed over many hands in order that it would encourage people that, yes, life has trials and temptations. But in the power and the might of the Word of God, through the presence of God, through the Holy Spirit, as by the people of God, we can rise up and be called blessed because of God. Let's pray. Father, take your word this morning and allow it to sink deep in the depths of our soul. Let us as the closing song will remind us the footprints of Jesus. May we follow him as our great example. All for your honor and glory, we ask these things. Amen.